Hiya and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, as usual coming to you on a Tuesday night on Lisburn's 98FM, FM 105 in Downpatrick and on Bangor FM. Yes, that's right, we're syndicated across three of the best community radio stations in Northern Ireland, but also we are podcasting if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Android, any of those podcast places you can listen to all the old episodes of The Jewel Case. I think this is like episode 39. We're approaching 40. Wait till I get to that silver anniversary. I'll have to line up a very special guest for that one. Maybe just myself. Maybe we'll go back to the old format and just do John. Um, You can also go to thejewelcase.johndarcy.com to listen to all the old episodes. There's nice extra cover art and uh, little descriptions about who I talk to. We always usually have a cultural cultured artist, someone who's involved in the creative scene here in Northern Ireland, and tonight it's no different. Tonight I am in Edenderry Village, on the outskirts of I guess Lisburn, it's in sort of around Castle Ray area, and I am in an artist's studio which is actually in their own home. It's in sort of a really nice little quasi-toy town-esque street where the numbering's not quite like normal streets, got lost on the way here. And I've just made my way up the stairs and into the little studio den of local illustrator Stephen Morris Graham. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm great, John. I really enjoy that full flow, just watching you. I didn't realise that was live. Oh, you were Whenever. recording? <laughs> I, I just thought that that was something you added at the start of every show. I didn't realise that I would get to witness it, but it's really nice seeing it in real Oh, good. Life. Yeah, yeah <laughs> does, it's great. Does that put you at ease? Uh no, it slightly intimidates me that you're such a professional. <laughs> I do get told off about that as that's sort of the radio voice, but we should also explain oh, to listeners that this isn't your first time listening to the Jill Case. I mean, it's your first time being part of the Jill Case, but do you actually yeah. subscribe on your phone? I subscribe. I'm a big fan of the Jill Case. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you. I've been saying to friends, you know, you've had Isabel Anderson, you've had Miguel Martin on the show, and whenever I go around their house, I sort of... Uh, I talk about the jewel case and say, ah, <laughs> oh, did you hear that person on last week? Yeah, that was really good. And oh, I wish, I hope John asked me to be in the jewel case one day. And I'm basically planting a seed. I don't know if anybody ever, like if Isabel ever turned, she went, listen, Steve's really desperate to be on your show. Would you just ask him and just let him be on it, please? Well, actually, you were, you but i'll let you behind the curtain but yeah and and our listeners behind the curtain that i actually have a little long list of you know oh, right. we we targets in the local scene yeah. you know yeah I, I know a lot of musicians writers yeah. artists and different media forms um but I don't want to just go through them all at once. And I think I started doing that and just, you know, week week by week and nearly running out of people. But I've got yeah. sort of a little long list of people I want to get in touch in the future. And I had you in mind, yeah. but I wanted to wait until you had something that you specifically, you know, had some timing. Maybe we could give you some promotion. Oh, yeah. And now you do. That's perfect, Which John. is the launch of your first print comic. Yeah, that's it's, right. Is that right? Your first print comic. It's my first print comic published by a real publisher. So but- good. I do have a comic that I published by myself years ago. Right, this is confession time. <laughs> um, there may be, there are a few people probably listening to this that bought one. And I want to apologize to them that if they bought it for how terrible it was. Is this a, a refund opportunity or is that too late? 30 days have definitely passed. 30 days have definitely passed and they they should feel good about themselves because they 
gave me confidence to move forward in life with this career. So, And isn't that thanks. what it's all about in terms of supporting local artists? You supported me and now I've got a real publisher, which is lovely. But before that, I, um, I self-published and it was a book called 400 Facts, which is my Twitter handle as well. I was going to say that's your handle on, um, on social Twitter, media. social media, but you, yeah. you also have a, a quite popular blog called 400 Facts. Yeah, I, on Tumblr as well. Yeah, yeah 400 Facts uh, on Tumblr. And that uh, that was all based on this comic that I wrote ah. like about maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, and and yeah, how did you awful. sell that? Was it like at a black market sort of thing? Yeah, the black box, black market. Did you mean that as in a black market as in a sort of a <laughs> I kind let's of buy nuclear weapons? I, I wanted to see where you'd go with that pun. But no, yeah. I did mean the black market, which was yeah. a, a, a sort of arts and crafts market that took place in the black box in Belfast. Yeah. doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't. Or were they bringing no. it back? Uh, I, hear I think rumblings maybe, of that. maybe they did bring it back at Christmas and things like that. I'm not entirely sure. Because I actually have another yeah. confession to make. I bought Miguel's comic. Oh, right. uh, week, weekly woes yeah. from way back when at a black market. Oh, okay. And I'm just, I'm just thinking. I hope you weren't sitting beside him, and I didn't buy yours. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I didn't even know he had it in a print version. I'm really, I'd love to get that if he still has them. Says, are you saying that I've got a coveted item? I think you do. <laughs> well, here, Stephen, we're, we're sort of getting, we're really yeah. deep diving in, yeah. in, in here. But it's a just for slower. <laughs> just, just for <laughs> listeners who aren't aware of your work. Yeah. You are an illustrator Let's. based in Northern Ireland. You're, you're actually, you know, a, a lot of people now, the whole thing is, you know, get an education and there's courses mm-hmm. for everything, but you're actually a self-taught illustrator. You I didn't am. like go to study practice-based arts at an art college. No. Um, but you, you did study history of art. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I do wish that I'd went to art college. Um, does, does that make sense? I went to, I wish that I had attended art college. Uh-huh. Um, Sorry, I just kind of got hung up on the English pronunciation of it there. Like that made See, me that's sound the like history of art student. Didn't I, you? I wish me had gone and studied <laughs> painting pictures. Um, but yeah, I I really did because any time that I've been there since in like the last few years, like the Belfast, you know, uh, art college, I'm always like, oh, this is such a vibrant place. There's always different personalities about, and there's always so much going on, and I kind of want ah, oh, that would have been really cool. But um, no, I didn't. That that was my way of getting to go to university and getting to appease my parents at the same time mm-hmm. um so saying like oh yeah i'll go and i did joint honors i did english literature and history of art split down the middle uh, at queen's and i loved history of art whenever i went to those classes i was just like you got to sit in this big dark room and look at these projected images on walls by all these famous artists and you just were like in this big bubble of lovely pictures that then you were educated at like how to understand them and how to construct them. And it just made me, every week I would go away and I'd learn about photography or oil painting. And it was just like, oh, I want to give that a go. I want to try that myself. Um, but then I'd just go home and I'd make comics and things <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of like reading books. Well, I mean, I you're not just making comics. You're, you're actually a pretty well-known on sort of um, illustration circles. And you've done work for the Washington Post, for Coca-Cola, yeah. For the Sunday Times, American Airlines, GQ, Time, all these yeah. publications online and in print. And one of the publishers you're working with at the minute is Vice. Yes. And it's through Vice you started the Michael comic. And that is what you're launching next week at Us Folk on Queen Street, 30th of November. And I'm told 
at the reception, there's going to be comics, drinks, mm. and a video game surprise. We'll, we'll maybe yeah. talk about video games in a minute, but okay. t- tell okay. us a little bit more about Michael, because this is sort of like, you're on Vice now, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's awesome to be on there. Uh, it kind of came about that uh, I was working in another division in Vice in the video games area, which we will get to later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I was doing all this work uh, for a guy called Mike Diver, who edits it there. And actually, I should give a shout-out to Chris Jones. Who shout-out to Chris Jones. He deserves one. I'm surprised he hasn't had one yet. Hi, you know, Chris. This is what the best thing about the jewel case. You know, whenever I listen to it, I'm always like, I wonder if this week it'll be my turn <laughs> for a wee shout-out. <laughs> we give <laughs> you a shout-out before. I know, I know, yeah, before. I know yeah, yeah. but again, another little <laughs> shout-out. No, no, it, that's what's really nice. This is it, turning but, into, like... Uh, you know, uh, like a, oh, is it oh. like a creepy insider has appeared on your show <laughs> and just like John in episode um, thirteen? Uh, <laughs> Sharon said this, and I just want to point out that that's a factual inaccuracy. As uh, long as you're not correcting like edits, you're just saying John that edit yeah. was a bit jumpy. Clearly, you messed up. Oh God, no! Episode. I would not have a clue about any oh, editing stuff. So I mean, to me, that's perfect. That's a ten out of ten. Uh, but to give a shout out to Chris Jones, um, he's probably sitting on the edge of his seat by the at this stage if he's listening. Uh, what did he do? What, what did, did Chris Why does he deserve say? a shout out? Well, I don't know. Well, look, why do you know? Um, he, one day, one day Chris Jones was on Twitter.com and Mike. <laughs> shout out Twitter.com. <laughs> shout out to Twitter.com. And he must have been friends with or followed one of the editors from Vice uh, called Mike Diver. And Mike Diver said, Oh, uh, I'm going to be doing some video game stuff for Vice this week. Does anybody know any illustrators that mm-hmm. um, would be able to cover that? And then Chris Jones uh, just added me and said, "Oh wow, here you got a wee mention, got we mentioned." And then like that, that's that's what got me on Vice. So, and you know that's what led on to so many other jobs. So really, I should. Well, I'm not going to give Chris a cut of any profits, but a shout out on, <laughs> on the podcast, on the Jokers is, is pretty damn it's, it's, You know what? Just talking to people day to day and on this podcast as well, there's all these, always these little miniature interactions and these sort of like butterfly effect mm-hmm. moments where, you know, one yeah. person does something, says something, ends up in the right room at the right time. And then mm-hmm. their, their life just goes in a sort of weird, different direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that is what my whole career has been predicated <laughs> on, is those fortuitous moments. And sometimes you have to kind of engineer those moments yourself as yes. well, in a way that you kind of have to go out there and take risks and, and push yourself in front of people. But yeah. um whenever you do that and you kind of go out of your comfort zone a little bit, then amazing things happen, um, which I never really thought would happen at all. Mm. You know, it's that, it's that thing where you should do things that are scary to you and then you will sort of sink or swim. And sometimes you sink, but that's all right. Cause <laughs> <laughs> that's part of life, isn't it? You know, you sink sometimes, but uh, other times you swim and you're like, holy crap, how did I get to this, <laughs> to this juncture in my life? This is really amazing. Yeah. You know, I'm actually. floating. I'm floating. I'm actually swimming. Um, so yeah, uh, Mike Diver then picks me up. That ties in so well to that swimming analogy as well. Mike Diver swimming. You should have your own Gosh. podcast. I'm realizing at this. John, stage. I'm so glad you've invited me to be co-host of the Julius <laughs> every week from now on. It's going to be amazing. So tune in to Stephen John. <laughs> 
We've actually, uh, I've, I've left the mic stands here and I don't think I'm getting them home again. <laughs> no. We've now, this is our new studio. No, this is the new studio space. So Just pack the computer up here. Pack lock your... the doors and <laughs> interview people out the window. Um, so Mike says, uh, so my, I'm working with Mike and we're doing the video game stuff and that's all grand. So what you're writing or illustrating about oh, video games? Sorry, I am illustrating articles that other... Oh, yes. Um, people that I love because I follow video games. So there's there's writers like um, Carl Ellison and Simon Miller and people like that in the video games world who I'm such a big fan of. And then I sure. get to illustrate articles for them. So that's that's amazing to me. Um, and then um, because I'm working with Vice on the USA side of that, Mike Divers on the UK side. On the USA side of that, the art editor, uh, Nick Gizen, uh, he gets in touch with me and commissions me to do a few article uh, illust- illustrated illustrations uh, for articles, and these are more sort of general in tone. They're not specifically about video games, which is okay. great because you get to sort of stretch your legs and do something different. Um, and then he says, "Oh, your work would be really suited to comics. Have you ever thought about doing any work with comics?" And I said, "I'd love to." And that's and you posted him the original four hundred facts scene. Yeah. <laughs> And then he said, don't worry, it's obviously not something that, you know, I can see now that it's a mistake to ask. Uh, luckily, I, don't, I hope to this day he's not seen that stuff. He could Google it now if he listened to this and then be like, Steve, you're rubbish. Um, but no, uh, then he was like, just come up with an idea. And then uh, I went off for a couple of weeks and kind of like how to think and what would I like to represent. And uh, I've, I've always started comics and um, got a little ways into them mm. and then quit because I couldn't see any way forward with it. But uh, whenever I came up with Michael, that was the first time where I thought this is something that I can, I can do something with. Like this could be a weekly thing. I can think of a million ideas about Michael. And what was that origin of Michael? Is there a person or is there a type of person that it's because it's a certain character? Maybe I'll mm. let you describe that character. I don't want to put words in your drawings. Oh, but that would be nice too. Uh, I can describe him and then you can say if that's yes. accurate. <laughs> you can critique it. Um, I think that Michael is a, uh, is a, a socially inept man child who uh, is in a sort of a state of arrested development. He can't really move on from his teenage years, his dependency on his parents. Um, and he's kind of trapped in this infantile world where he collects. And I should sort of say, like, there's nothing wrong with collecting like, um, you know, anime dolls and video games and, you know, cool stuff like that's cool stuff to me but for michael it's kind of like a prison you know it's it, it's like that but you know in the 40 year old virgin where he's got all his um if you've seen that film where he's got yeah. all his toys and that at the end of it he gets he gets rid of all his toys apart from a few but that's kind of like a liberation for him that was holding him back so um yeah he's uh he's sort of a social outcast is michael it's the kind of character that's um I guess quite popular and mm. that sort of archetypal character is uh, is quite popular in TV and film now and probably mm. because it's so omnipresent. Yeah. You know, that it, I mean it's sort of a generational thing 
in a way, millennials and whatever that was just before millennials is like, it's really hard economically even to sever those ties yes, from yeah. from your parents. So you do become sort of dependent and a bit of yeah. like a man child, so to speak. Yeah. There's lots of factors swirling in and around this. Um, that That's important distinction as well for Michael is that I, I don't want people to feel like they're being attacked with Michael in yes. a way because I think I always try and play him as a sympathetic character and is someone that uh, has maybe just gone too far in that he's not sort of struggling to get away from that lifestyle. In a lot of ways, a lot of millennials and things and, and people who have ended up back at home and who live with their parents it's not the ideal situation. They kind of feel like, well, I should be growing up from this. I should be a different person. I should be liberating myself and being responsible for myself as, as you know, as a healthy adult would be. But Michael, he kind of regresses and goes back into this womb-like state of just like, just hiding from the world. And I think that's the part of him that is the least sympathetic part, but there's the part of him you can kind of resent. But then there's this this other, he's quite a caring, good-natured kind of fellow. So you can kind of like that part of him as well. So you write the stories for Michael as mm. well as illustrate. And I guess that sort of thing we think of like an illustrator as, you know, like painting a visual story. Mm-hmm. And then we, I, I, like I often forget that plenty of times like the cartoonist or the illustrator themselves actually comes up with the story and the text. And I think that's a sort of an interesting dual play of roles because in theatre and film, um as distinct media there's tons of different roles that are involved in the creative process yeah and when it comes to doing like the cell story block you are putting lots of different skills to work yeah as as a sort of singular auteur can you talk about that for a minute Stephen? (laughs) (laughs) oh that's very flattering uh no that's lovely it is definitely a discipline where you're to me it feels a bit like um being a stand-up comedian in a way, just because of the way that these stories are structured. In Michael, I usually have to hit a weekly deadline. So the stories have to be short, maybe one or two pages compact. And there needs to be um, a setup and then a punchline, or at least in my mind, to me, it doesn't necessarily have to be a setup and punchline to weekly comics. But for me, I feel like I want to give the audience that. I want to give the reader maybe a laugh or something. I don't know why. It's just part of my um, personality to have that compulsion to give someone a reward in a way. I don't know. So in order to do that, you need to be very economical. It's all in the the setup and the structure of the comic. And you have to be economical with the dialogue uh, and in the visuals. And the idea has to be really, really simple. You have to be able to just describe it in one sentence. It's that kind of how they say in Hollywood, that elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy that because that's a challenge, you know, and I feel like I've gotten better over time. If if you get the book and pick it up and read it, at first, I think anyway, there's sort of a lack of focus. It's me finding my feet. And then by the very end of the book, I feel like I've gotten good at <laughs> set up to punchline. Um uh-huh. So that'll really sell you on the book. Starts off weak and then gets stronger. <laughs> hey, at least it ends well. And does the book take the sales or sorry, the stories from the web from Vice's original online publications? Yes. So you can read every single comic in the book for free right now on vice.com. But why would you? <laughs> but why would you? Because the book is so, uh, I really like owning the physical thing. 
And this book is really, really nicely printed and has like a lot of uh, You know what it is? Nice I've features. just been handed one before we turned the recorder on. Uh, you yeah. very generously gave me one. And oh, yeah, you, no the, the text sits up a little bit on the cover. It's really tasty. Yeah, it's like a raised... Um, uh, you, it's called a UV uh, spot ink. Right. Uh, and so whenever you, if you like pass it through the light in the sunlight, it'll sort of glint off the black lines and oh. it's all like nicely raised. Like imagine Braille. But Steve, like who's going to be reading this in the sunlight? Of course, no <laughs> one. <laughs> no, no, you're going to be reading it with like a torch underneath a your dark, bed yeah. in a darkened murky <laughs> basement. Darkened comic shop. Actually, yeah. speaking of which, you know, we've got like, Wait, actually, do we have comic shops in Belfast? We have God Forbidden Planet. Planet and yeah. Will that be in sort of comic shops and places um, where zines and things are kept? I hope so. I hope uh, there's going to be... I'm going to at least contact the ones in Northern Ireland and in the south of Ireland uh, for a start. Um, but um, aside from that, it's mostly... At the, at the moment, it's available online to buy via the publisher, which is based in America. Okay. And that's spacefacebooks.com. But... Post-launch, um, I'm going to have copies available to buy on my website and I'm going to make some efforts to get it into shops and things as and well. Just while we're on that note, can you let everybody know your yeah. website before I forget to give you a big Isle social media plug? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it, the easiest way to get to the Isle shop then is to go to the Tumblr page, which is 400-400-facts.tumblr.com. And then my actual website, if you want to check that out, is uh, stephenmorrisgraham.com. And the 400 facts actually is worth visiting just to see all the cool illustrations. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, it's, there's low, it's like your archive sort of there. It is an archive, yes. Yeah, so you can just cons- you can just scroll down for six years of my life. <laughs> you can trace it all back to the very beginnings if you go all the way back. Well, I'm wondering, Mike, should we trace it back to the beginnings? Because I'm wondering, with Michael, what were your inspirations? What sort of strip comics were you reading? Is it influenced by those very short comics um, in in the likes of periodicals or Mm. magazines? Or is it taking more inspiration from sort of graphic novels that you're interested in? What Well, two-part question. Yeah. What was the, the spark that inspired what you're doing in Michael, but yeah. also how did you decide to just do this full stop? Well, it, I was working in an office. Uh, so it kind of splits into two. The answer is both sides of the question, really. Um, I was working in an office and um, I was just drawing all the time. Um, any chance I could get, I would just like be drawn on a pad of A4 paper. Uh, and eventually I think that the people that I was working with got really tired of that because I didn't actually do any real work. I was only in a temporary contract as well, so they uh, phoned me up one day and said that I didn't have a job anymore. And so I was like, oh, right, okay. But by this stage, uh, which was around 20, let's say 2011 or so, I was uh, I was kind of making a little bit of money at illustration, um, doing like local gig posters and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't much, but I decided um, if there's any time in my life, I'm still relatively young and... Uh, I'll have a punt at this. I'll try and be a professional illustrator. Yeah. Um, so it, it began to grow from there. I just put myself forward for different jobs and any opportunities that came up. I just went for them and, and just tried to tried to grow as well. Like a lot of stuff came through personal work, like people seeing my personal work. And I always try and be funny in my personal work because I think that that will endear people. If I can make someone laugh, then that endears you, like you give them something. 
Um, I'm getting real psychological insight there. Whenever I'm like, <laughs> I give you something when I make you laugh. <laughs> so that kind of paid off. Like people then, you know, it, it, once that sort of comedic element came through my work, it was uh, kind of this blend of narrative and comedy that um, could be told in these single illustrative images. And I still continue that today. Uh, and that's what I think makes it easier to have this sideline into comics as well, because it's all about um, tying that comedy and narrative, but spinning it out over um, various panels. Um, and that's why And Michael kind of arose from that office environment as well, because he was this office worker that didn't really fit in. So mm -hmm. that's where I never really felt comfortable in an office at all. I could never really... And I worked in an office for like 10 years, like different offices, <laughs> like throughout the UK. And I just never felt comfortable. I just didn't really, they weren't my people, man. Well, it's much more comfortable up here in your spare room. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And people always ask me, because I do work alone in here every day. And people always say, you know, do you ever get lonely and things? But I never get lonely. I just love to be in my own mind and i guess that's another michael thing it's that you know just comfortable with being alone yeah and there's actually your mind is sort of spread across the room and around the room because there's sort of like yeah. i guess that's your greatest hits on the wall in the forms of posters and yeah. printouts and postcards are these special ones that are around because there's like your zelda image is that zelda image uh, where's um, that one? Oh, this one oh yeah. yeah that looks a lot like zelda but it's actually um it's a zine oh. based on this old PlayStation 1 game called Alundra, um, which I was really into. And I made this whole zine about it, like oh. diving into um, the game world of it. And what really interested me about Alundra was that it was, it was like, imagine Zelda, imagine old Zelda on the snares. It was like that, but the story was quite dark. And it was about these dreams where uh, if you fell asleep, these demons would come into your dreams Um it's about this whole village where this demon came into their dreams and it, it murdered a villager one by one every night. So you had this really emotional, emotional for the time, I was about 13, <laughs> emotional story of like these, these people just dying one by one in this village and you were sort of powerless to stop them. You were this person who was a dream walker and you could go into the dreams and try and defeat the demons. But the overriding part of the narrative was that you just failed all the time. You just failed. Whereas so many games are about power fantasies of like, um, you win, you've got the next crystal, you can now power up. And this one was just about failure, which I thought was really interesting. So I made a zine about it. Yeah, should we move on to other pictures? Well, the one I was going to point out there is uh, the back yeah. poster. Is That's not yours, is it? That's not mine. That's Tara McPherson, um, who uh, people might recognise as a big lady in uh, band illustration. You know, that sort of going back to like 2008 the big height of illustrated band posters yeah i was gonna say because um the music festival i go to most years yeah. um has a big like side part of this something stock or whatever the, the, the touring yeah. expo where lots of illustrators bring their band posters oh what? i didn't know about this uh, <clears throat> what festival is it sorry a primavera sound they oh yeah um, yeah yeah they they do it and i'm sure they do it at other music festivals and now my man's gone blank of oh. what it's actually called. Some, flat stock, is that what it is? Flat stock, yeah, um, yeah, cool. And I think I've seen, I've probably seen her at that actually, if she's one of the big hitters in that sort she's of thing. She's big hitter. There's quite a scene. And, yeah, and the, I think the, so. Everyone has their individual style. And yeah. actually, 
I saw um, somewhere on on your blog you'd done one or two of these sort of gig posters. Wondering, yeah. are you is that something you you'd get into? Or I'd love to do more of it actually, but um, I don't really get asked to do gig posters anymore. Weirdly, that's where I kind of started was in Belfast making gig posters for for local bands and things. One of the very first things I did was for Colenso parades. Oh wow! You know, Philly Shout Tiger. out to Colenso parade. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel Taggart's on Radio One and stuff. So. He is, yeah, and actually, he's on that long list. He's he's he oh, wants to yeah, get on the case next yeah. time he's back, but he's hard to pin down. That guy Phil's really funny as well. That's my overriding memory of spending time with him was that he was really quick, and then whenever he went on to Radio One, I was like, I'm not surprised. He was always really like really quick. Very. Do you ever quick. meet people like that, or, that, or you think that you know we're we're pretty funny guys? Like <laughs> <laughs> we can be funny, but I mean. Feels like he thinks of the joke, not point three seconds before into like it even think occurs to you to be a joke. Yes, he's always on his toes. That yeah. one, yeah. Um, it's like a box. Some of some words. stories there, but you can look forward to the future episode yes. of Jokeus where we on earth those ones. Good lead in, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great lead in. Uh, we also actually had former Colenso Parade guitarist Michael McCall. Yes, uh, yeah, some of the yeah. Hound on the podcast. Yeah, but it's not all right. about me tonight. No. It's about you. I you know, never answered. Um, you never answered my my other part to the question about uh, what good. what you were getting into. Stop bringing me on these tangents. I know. Stephen. I'm really sorry. I'm wondering if the audience isn't at home. I always hear it on podcasts whenever someone gets asked a question, and you're just like, Hanging. "Would you answer the bloody question?" <laughs> you're like a politician. The um, yeah. So the the other part to that earlier question, and I'll take yes. the rap because it was a very overly complicated uh, dialogue oh. on my part. What was what were your sort of your your signposts or your landmarks of inspiration in terms of what Michael is visually or or thematically? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Well, um, the thing that was going through my mind whenever I was doing it, and it, it was kind of more whenever I had, was a few strips into it that I was thinking that Michael is a grown up Charlie Brown, right? To me, anyway, that's uh, if I could think of another comic to compare him to, Charlie Brown was always this morose um, young boy (laughs) that kind of wandered through life and couldn't really find any Mm -hmm. joy in anything uh, and was sort of, uh, he was an outcast from his peers as well. You know, no one quite caught who Charlie Brown was and that's why, you know, I I think Charlie Brown is like one of the best comics that you could ever read. Uh, I really love that and I don't think Michael in any way approaches it, but I I think that it's, uh, it has those sort of hallmarks of, it's this, it's this guy who possibly grew up into someone. Charlie maybe grew up into someone like Michael, so that's kind of a touchstone there of inspiration for sure. And what about the visuals? Because it's quite cinematic in uh, terms of the angles and the sort of the empty frames of no dialogue and space. Oh, I'm using my podcast the source here. What are your touchstones of yeah, yeah. people you're looking at? <laughs> uh, well, that's nice that you say it's. Uh, filmic that's that's really lovely because I'm really into films and things too so um it's it comes down to that pacing again you know like I, I want to have uh I, I want to have this minimal dialogue and I remember describing it to Miguel Martin very early on and I, I was saying that I want to make a really boring comic <laughs> I want to make it really dull I want to make it as real life as possible and just like um because I'm really inspired by real life there's there's this nice um, natural cadence to mundane life that mm. I wanted to capture with Michael. I wanted him to to do very dull things um, and to make ordinary things slightly extraordinary. 
there's one of the comics, I don't know if you've read it, but it's uh, Michael sitting in in the kitchen one day and his mum says, oh, look, the neighbour next door has painted the gate for his two kids. And um, the scene cuts to outside and on the gate is painted this kind of disturbing clown face. <laughs> and then um, Michael looks at it and it freaks him out. And um, then he goes to sleep that night and then the gate... The whole gate with the clown face visits him in his dreams and says, Michael, I live to hate. <laughs> and there is nothing else on this earth that, that I hate more than you. <laughs> and then it drags him to hell. And that's based on real life. <laughs> because I was dragged to hell by a clown face gate. No, um, my neighbour down the road here, I, I wish this was during the day because I could take you out and show you. But he painted his gate with a bloody... Clowns, a disturbing clown face. And it's like in 3D, it's got ping pong ball eyes. Oh, wow. Like, do you remember that bit at the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit whenever Christopher Lloyd turned into the cartoon version of himself and his eyes popped out of his real face? His cartoon eyes popped out of his real face. And so you were revisited in the dream by the gate? Or was that sort of like a... That's the extraordinary. See, that's where the artist comes in. (laughs) I love it. That's where the artist steps in from the shadows and goes, I shall take over now and guide this story. (laughs) Uh, So that was was the extraordinary. But the gate did, I just, it didn't, the gate did not disturb me in real life, but I thought something like that would, would get to Michael because it's so bizarre. It would freak him out. I'm gonna go back to the, the the gig posters. Yeah, I, actually, actually, your um one of your early posters. I think I I actually was in. I was actually a character. <gasps> yes, or a John, feature. you were. I've just remembered. Yes, you were because you played a gig with Isabel in um with Isabel Anderson. With yeah. Isabel Anderson. Sorry, yeah, I should give uh, full credit. Isabel Anderson and you played a gig in um the bookshop. What's no alibis? No alibis. Bookshop. Yeah. Uh huh. God, that's so weird. And I had totally it, forgotten about that. It wasn't your actual usual style, though. No, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. It was kind of, you, you had done this sort of watercolour-y sort of yeah, or pastel-y painting type yeah. look. Yeah, I was going for it because it was in no alibis. I was trying to go for a noirish thing. Yes. And then I was doing all this research into noir, sort of film noir posters of the 50s. And they were all hand-painted. So I thought, I'll give it a crack. Um, I'll try and paint this. And then... It took me ages to do. Actually. You actually did it by hand. Yeah, it was by hand. It I wasn't thought digital. that was done digital. Wow. No, there was a bit of digital manipulation afterwards, but um, yeah, that was all by hand. And are you peeking through blinds in it? Yes, this Venetian is the bit that we talked about because, um, or maybe Isabel told me afterwards. She sent me the poster. Now I, re- I remember the whole narrative. Now she mm-hmm. sent me the poster, and I yeah. was like, "That's cool, that's great." And she was yeah. like, "Oh, just checking, you were okay with it?" Because Steve was worried you might think you looked too creepy. And yes. then I suddenly realized that there were these slashes across me. But I thought that was just sort of like lens flare you were trying to get oh, across. Oh, see, yeah. But but it was actually yeah. that I was meant to be creeping through blinds, looking at Isabel. Was that the concept? That was the concept because you know, like imagine the detective in his you know in his office and then he goes and they have the shot of him pushing his finger through the venetian blinds you see the eyes right. it was supposed to be that and then isabel was supposed to be the femme fatale yes figure but i wasn't a very skilled artist at that time so i'm really sorry if i uh, it still looked great <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry if i misrepresented you but you you both played a dual 
gig there we did yes we did i guess like a, yeah. a double header sort of thing that was uh-huh. cool that was i fun. didn't i didn't get to see that i don't know if i've ever seen you perform actually that's probably the good thing oh. uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm starting to remember you actually did those really nice posters for the reset club night to the menagerie oh, yeah, which some people those. might remember yeah um and that is more representative of your style yeah. or at least in that era because you do these big intricate sort of mm. uh, dioramas with lots of characters sort of with interplay yeah. sort of like a what do you call what would be the classical art history term for that like a freeze or something oh god john i don't know uh, <laughs> a fresco like a fresco maybe let's yeah. just say a fresco yeah because that's something i remember a fresco was something that you would paint very quickly onto a wall is that what it's like a mural? It's, it's, it's Should we say a mural? Yeah, I guess like a mural, or like you know, if you're looking up at the, the Sistine Chapel or something, yeah, right? Yeah, and there's all the characters or whatever. Yeah, all the guys, all the dudes, all the all the lads, and the big, <laughs> the big, um, the big G guy up there as well. <laughs> Reach nine. Maybe I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said a specific chapel. Now we're all picturing the Sistine. I, I yeah. mean one of those general, um, you know, re- Renaissance or earlier, uh, yeah, paintings. Where oh yeah, because they didn't have films then to tell the whole story, so they just did a big yeah. painting of it. Yeah, they did. They had to do it that way. That's right. Yeah, and um, they didn't have podcasts to chat about it after. I know. Yeah, imagine breaking it down with Michelangelo. <laughs> That's a great title for a podcast as well, isn't it? Uh, so, 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 Mike, could you yeah uh, just read out your Twitter <laughs> handle there, just so people. Can follow you after yeah it's at mickey d uh <laughs> mickey d paints it's not well, you know technology has changed and how do you find that it has <laughs> attempt at a nice segue there but uh, i guess a valid question probably one you're, you're sick of getting is that you know we've got all this digital media now where i'm looking at your computer setup yeah uh, which is a massive sort of wacom screen that you actually uh-huh. draw straight onto um, but you also do like ink stuff as well. How, how does the technology all work for you? And then there's also the technology side of the publishing aspect too. Uh, well, the, I, I find the digital method of working. I've, I've got both setups here. On one side of the room, I've got the um, the Wacom screen that you can draw directly onto, which I love. But I've also got the old school um, drafting desk there as well. So the way I work is that I'll draft things on on this table and uh, do the sketch there and then i'll transfer and scan and then get onto the computer and 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 start working digitally on it um and i i love both but digital sort of has the edge for me now because i was showing you earlier all the different brushes and things now that you can use digitally mm. and that's just like that's amazing because it saves you so much cash because if you want to try something out and you're like well i wonder what this would be like if i tried to do this watercolor thing and you can just hop on there and give it a crack with some watercolor brushes and it's not like one one with that um analog look there's always these great effects that you can just get out of analog only but um in terms of just like experimenting and trying new things i love working digitally um yeah i just love the effects that you can get out of it now and i love the sharpness and the cleanness of the lines yeah, yeah. I mean, this the speed aspect is a big one, and it's yeah. the same in music and I yeah. guess film as well. It's just that you can draft, sketch, prototype so quickly. Yeah, and handy. then often you get to a stage when it's like the quality's there too, and yeah. the final product is there. Yeah, almost as quick as you started. I mean, you know that shiny final product. It's kind of like buffed down. It has no rough edges now. That's great, but then you know, do you find that 
those rough edges are sometimes nice as well. And then, you know, you don't want to eradicate one and the other. I think we're going to, now we're in that era where, yes, we, there's been that turn back. Um, I mean, we've seen it on the web and mm. uh, things getting a real look. Mm -hmm. um but i guess apple was doing that for years in their interface design where what was it called that oh no i'm really annoyed i can't remember this one uh -huh. um where there's like this synthetic look of reality and buttons used to look like physical buttons you could press and that there was like an oh, actual yeah. texture on them on on the, whenever the iphone was originally released yes but then apple again once that wasn't you know completely cutting edge then they went back to a totally synthetic thing where it was um you know very clean surfaces and lines and like that vinyl where there's no surface yeah. uh roughness at all i think we're just going to be back and forth on that for yeah. a while yeah that's um, true because you know we're never there's there's always the fashion and the change and we're yeah. never fully happy with one or the other yeah um, but i do feel like now yeah we're in that we're in a place where authenticity is king Yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah, true. So I guess it's like whatever's true to the work or the artist. So if your style is having, you know, the texture of the paper uh -huh. or the little um the little kink in the brush stroke, yeah. then and that works for you, that's perfect. Yeah. Other alternatively, there's all these artists and the sort of the new aesthetic thing here, like going back to Windows 98 and yeah, all yeah. Of that, uh super cgi uh 3d graphics effects that also then not yeah now, now they have their own aesthetic and look and feel because they're uh -huh. rougher on the edges in a different way yeah they've kind of got that thing where they don't have uh like say if you're creating a 3d object they wouldn't have aliasing on the object so it would have that slightly pixelated yeah. thing and it's like <laughs> you know we've had software for years that can get rid of that but um but they have this cool. It's like, well, that's part of the aesthetic, isn't it? It's and like that's to have near, like that a forced chunk. authenticity to to signal a different yeah. time period because we're far enough away from late nineties, early noughties that we can then market that as a yeah a, a specific time yeah and place yeah definitely. Um, Where do we go from here, Stephen? You're the you're the, you're on the cutting edge. What's what are we primed well, for in aesthetic trends? In aesthetic trends, probably the next thing that's going to come back into fashion is well, it's got to be the two thousands next, right? So we're going to go back to early two thousands in in aesthetics. So you know those iMacs with the colors, yeah. Those that kind of aesthetic is going to come back. It's going to be. Um, bleached fronds of hair on the front for for men you know on baggy the fringes jeans. baggy really super you know jinko jeans remember we all used to wear i don't know maybe you weren't maybe you're maybe you missed that period it might have been of, in my limp biscuit hoodie then i can't remember yeah yeah do you remember <laughs> do you remember the big mad massive jeans that would absorb uh, all the rain oh, in belfast yeah. In California, you know, like you looked amazing all the time, yes. but in Belfast, you looked like a big dirty rag. Oh, you mean yes? You, it would actually be like, uh, yes, you as your dreams jeans trail across Trails. the wet ground, yeah. it would absorb up, so you'd nearly have a boot stain. Yeah, you'd have a big boot of <laughs> of wet that you could just flick at people. That's gonna come back. I swear to God, that's gonna come back. So you heard I it swear. here first on the Joe's more screen. I might, I might start drawing characters with those kind of genes. That will come in then, and then people will be like, "That guy was ahead of the curve, wasn't he? He knew what was up." Well, what's what? Michael is sort of set now, yeah, in the here and now. But his style isn't really is this no. like Michael a bit like out of touch or something like that. That's something else I wanted to ask you about the hair and the sort of the physical construction and gestures of Michael. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? I think I think I just wanted his aesthetic just to uh, emphasize awkward and out of place <laughs> and out of time. So there's no better way to do that than sort of give him this 
bizarre haircut and uh he wears flares like his trousers are flared yes and he's too young to know, even know what a flare is you know if 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 he's my age he wouldn't have lived through the 70s so you know where did the flares come from i think it was just um just to make him look very at odds with everybody else it's kind of singular because I guess you could have been poking at certain things. Like you could have been poking at a sort of like a want to be hipster sort of haircut or yeah. taking some cues from things that people do do um, who are like awkward or like you could have totally went down the Dungeons and Dragons nerd kind of look. Yeah. Which is actually another one of your good illustrations. You've done the chart of nerds. Oh God. Yeah. You've, yeah. You've, that's you've, right. You've drawn, yeah. That's a good one to look up on 400 facts. Know your nerd. Know your nerd. And it has yeah. the anime nerd and the cosplay nerd and the yeah. D&D. I mean, you could have easily put Michael into one or multiple of them. Yeah. Sort that's of a, true. a little Venn diagram of awkward nerd. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah. I think I wanted him to look, sort of um like he was from here as well right weirdly so i think that's where the the red hair came from because michael's sort of based in this zone where i don't really know if he's american because all the comics go out on the american vice website so i don't really know if he's american or if he's irish but he's sort of somewhere in the middle of the two you know so it's in this it's a bit like the simpsons in that it's not an actual real place obviously since it's a comic <laughs> but you know what i mean it's like there's the, at no point does anybody say oh here we are in uh, yes tipperary or something it's like uh, it, it's nowhere well that's that's a really interesting point because i actually pictured him in as being supposed in england somewhere that's funny yeah and maybe that's because in my head the first time i came across vice was um like picking it up in london or something like that oh, the yeah, my yeah. uk version and i hadn't really realized that it was more of an american thing to begin with yeah, and so maybe that's why I framed it that way. Yeah, so, that's uh, true. But I guess that's the that's the beauty of not singularly placing it in somewhere or locating it. That yeah. everyone can have their own little. That's true. Everybody can have their own voice for Michael. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, yeah, I don't know where the haircut came from. He, he has <laughs> I mean, this. That's, that's the important bit. The haircut. Well, I, the haircut is. It's a, the way his hair looks. If you haven't seen it, he has big sideburns, and he, his hair is pushed all the way back at the front into this big, huge fringe, and then it kind of curls out at both sides at the bottom in these two big fins, almost like he's yeah. got fins. Um, I have to admit, I did do something like that with my hair in about two thousand and seven, is, six. Is this online? Can I look this up? <laughs> I'll try and find a photo for you, but I'm <laughs> I'm thinking I might have burnt all those photos. Um, so yeah, I used to do that. I remember teasing my hair around at the back and pulling it. No, I don't know like if anybody mullet, else did that. But around sort of. the sides too. Yeah, I don't know. I've made a lot of fat. Like I wore those big jeans as well. I've made a lot of fashion faux pas. Well, I mean, that's the question everyone wants me to ask. Yeah. How much of you is in Michael and how much uh, of Michael is in you? Quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 a lot of um I would say like a lot of things that I would have about myself, like undesirable things that I think about myself are in Michael. So those horrible things where you think, oh, I can't really go out today, I can't really do this or do that. Not in a sad way, but just in the way that everybody has these moments of insecurity and things and those kind of can be driven into Michael and be part of his character, you know, like these um, parts of himself where he feels like, oh, I don't quite fit into this bracket, so I won't. That's another important part of Michael is that I don't want people to feel sorry for him. I want people to 
I, I, what he admits a lot of the time that he is not sorry for the way he behaves or acts, yeah. even if it's terribly, even if you think less than for it, he's going to do it. I suppose that's kind of my attitude as well, like uh, with work and things is that I'm going to do this. And if you don't like it, get out. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think it's uh, growing up in Northern Ireland, you can kind of have this attitude of, Oh, that I can't do that. I could never. I'm not really allowed to do that. I have to do it this way. Mm. And they're probably growing up in a lot of places. I, I'm not blaming Northern Ireland or anything, but probably growing up in a lot of places, you go like, "Well, I come from here, and that's the way things are done here." And people don't. I'm not this big ostentatious character that lives in New York and paints. But I can. But then you have to tell yourself, "But I can be an artist. I can do this." Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, and um, there also is, I think, in Northern Ireland, this uh, do I want to say overriding or do I want to say undercurrent of <laughs> over uh, under? Like what? <laughs> the over under on this is bad. <laughs> we we've got this sense that you don't want to. St- everyone always says this this uh, this old adage. Yeah. You don't want to stick your head over the parapet. Yeah, but. Uh, as as dated as that may sound, there is that sense of oh, that person gets too big for their boots. Uh-huh. Now I'm not sure that exists anymore, but there still is this sort of mini fear I think in a lot of people that yeah. other people will think, oh, I'm acting too big for my boots. Yeah, yeah. But nope. that's rubbish, isn't it? That is rubbish because because um, if you don't try, then you're never going to succeed at anything, and then. You know, that, that again, and all that is, you know, like even if you try and fail, you should be proud of yourself for even trying. Um, but you know, for anybody to just disparage someone for being successful at something, that's ah, that's a load of cobblers, isn't it? Yeah, as my granny would say, they're just jealous, they're just jealous, they really are. <laughs> and uh, do you know, uh, and in uh, talking about the wider sort of scene of Northern Ireland the last 10 years it's been really like even with your podcast coming out I'm just like look at this big smorgasbord of I really enjoyed saying that word smorgasbord you, you I want to go bit, for it again uh, no just <laughs> I don't want to I feel like someone might vomit if I say it again it's a bit um bit too much um but I think there's there's so many vibrant things happening here now you know there's a lot of you know definitely you know, it's not like New York City yet, but it's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of passionate people out there. Well, what's great, and I, I'm getting this feedback too from people who have moved here and are now sort of settled here, is that there's a real tight-knit aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And Belfast is small and relatively cheap to live in. And so you can do things yeah. and you aren't under that pressure to, you know, work loads just to make rent. Totally. Um, but there's also a really supportive an open community and we are learning we're like there's a, a much better i think provision of skills now and a much you know more supportive attitude towards yeah. creative arts now um which i guess is good feel for 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 this podcast and like this chat yeah. there's, there's people like you doing stuff and you know there's collective groups and then it's amazing that there's also like just people like you in their spare room making their work yeah sort of going about their business and then Oh wow, that illustrator's actually from Northern Ireland. You know, that's I yeah. love that because I'm sure there's people who have seen your work reading Vice, yeah, who don't realize, you know, that, that you're I'm also from Northern room. Ireland. It's yeah. massive inspiration, I'd say, to you know, oh, young cool. and up and coming illustrators who feel like, oh, all of the sort of famous or not even famous, all the successful people or people who are getting their work out are from other places. 
Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Of course, there's this uh, sort of feeling like um, it used to be like a stronger feeling a few years ago of like, oh, I've got to move to London now. Yeah, if I'm going to be able to do that, and uh, that's a strong pull for people, isn't it? That you know, if you want to, I mean, if you want to do certain jobs, you have to go to London. But if you want to be an artist, if you want to be a writer, um, the internet exists now, so you just need to go. Hello, On the internet. <laughs> <laughs> hello. I email someone and say, hello, I am a artists and i make this and if you'd like to feature or do this or do that with it then um i'm here in this little room <laughs> doing it so um yeah there's there's no need to you know to, to hawk a physical portfolio around the streets of london anymore and call into um uh illustrators uh magazines and newspapers and things and go like hello uh, I'm, I'm such and such and you know here's my portfolio of work you just email and you can be anywhere yeah, exactly. Your portfolio is online, sitting there as a sort of infinite resource until the yeah. servers all die, like they did in until, South Park. <laughs> until, you know, nuclear Armageddon and then all the servers blink out of existence. So until next year, your portfolio until is online. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing I did come across just, uh, you know, I, I did a little bit of a snoop around, I'm not going to lie, before mm. before the interview, just to re-familiarize myself. And something yeah. I hadn't really realized you had done is a really lovely set of GIFs. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got a nice little selection of GIF, or is it GIF? I do not know. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, listeners? These are these like little animations, yeah. basically, on the internet. It's, sometimes it's a series of photos, or what often it is like a video that's been turned mm. into a series of photos. But you know, there's the GIF keyboard, the GIF keyboard on Facebook, and you can yeah. you don't have to speak anymore. You just get a little miniature video that says what you need to say. I love that little GIF keyboard. <laughs> it's so good. But you've actually like nearly got a little GIF keyboard of your own now. Yeah, like you can go onto Facebook and... If you type in certain keywords, my gifts come up, which That's is so good. which is the best. Um, like if you type in vote around the election, I made a little gif for voting. Uh, and this was like a little animation of a hand on over with a pencil hovering over some paper. And in big red letters, it says vote. And then you have two options to pick to vote for. And one is goodies and one is baddies. <laughs> and the hand ticks goodies. Um, <laughs> Which we really all hoped that all the goodies would win this year. <laughs> oh, it's been a weird year. Yeah, so you, all the baddies won. Have you responded to the weird year we've had in your art? Uh, I did a Brexit one, actually. Yeah, I did a... But I think a lot of illustrators did quite a similar yeah. thing because that of that image of the, the EU stars, uh, the mm -hmm. flag of stars. Mine was like all the stars had crashed to the ground. I saw some other illustrators had one star blink out... Uh, another guy had uh, a janitor on a stepladder removing one of the stars. Oh, and stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of clever stuff going around about Brexit. Well, actually, this, I guess the scary notion is that your illustration of all the stars falling could be the case because Brexit. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, not only triggering, um, is it the UK or Britain? UK. Oh, it's all of us, isn't it? We're all lumped in, <laughs> even though. Uh, not only triggering them, leaving. Um, them, us, what am I talking about, leaving uh, the EU, but that it sort of gives a little bit of a voice to a lot of the far right slash neo-fascist or whatever movements in different yeah. countries or nationalist parties, maybe that's a, more, a better term to use. Yeah. Uh, that will could trigger like France leaving, could trigger uh -huh. Spain leaving, and then suddenly all the core countries are gone and the EU is toast. Mm. Um. So I'm going to get a lot of hits on that image. I mean, keep that one in the bag. <laughs> yeah. But just wheel it around then, some newspapers. We probably won't have the internet. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose all the presses will be shut down, so there'll be no more newspapers left. It yeah, the, yeah, yeah, it depends what Russia will have done. 
Oh um, yeah. It's probably probably their dream plan, like Christmas yeah. wish list of twenty seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shut down all the press. <laughs> God, I just read so I try the try not to read a lot of stuff now because it, it makes me slightly panicked. Well what what do you what's your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or your Tumblr feed like? Because I mean yeah. this has been the sort of big talk post election. It's something I always used to chat with friends about yeah even actually, a couple of years ago even that we sort of exist in this echo chamber yeah on our online presence because it's not necessarily mm. that we always unfollow people that disagree with us but we mm. naturally gravitate towards the ones who do of course and yeah yeah so there there was people in brexit literally thinking oh everyone's definitely going to vote for remain because maybe one or none <laughs> of their friends were posting about leave yeah uh, i know i was definitely one of those people but yeah. what's what's your sort of take on that yeah, I think uh, judging by all the posters and things being completely wrong, I think we all lived in an echo chamber for a while. And um, I think as well, the the sort of views of Brexit, um, the sort of more unsavoury views, I think people would have tended to keep to themselves if they thought it, rather right, than yeah. talk about it online a lot. Because, you know, if we're, if we're going down that route of um, was Brexit, about leaving the EU or is it about things like immigration and things like that? Um, if people thought it was a vote about immigration, they would have probably wanted to keep certain views from themselves. And those people may not be online because a lot of them were the older generation as well. So we were all kind of living in a sort of a cosy bubble that night. And then whenever I was in bed with um, Zoe, she woke me up at about four in the morning and she was like, oh my God, it doesn't look good. And then we just sort of shivered <laughs> throughout the night. At that point, it was a really bad night's sleep. And then we woke up to the bad news and it was a bit like, oh, this is a strange, strange new world. Yeah, I actually um, think I was like driving home or something. And then when I got home, um, like on the radio on the way, it was like, oh, that's looking okay. And then mm. certain northern... Um, constituencies were voting to leave and that mm. looked a bit surprising yeah and then i was like oh do you know what it'll fix itself in the wash <laughs> get a good night's sleep and i'll wake yeah. up yeah it's just a bad dream yeah but also we just glazed over zoe who is your wife yeah let's talk about is, zoe is also uh, an artist works in theater yeah and, yeah and uh big shout out to zoe big shout out to zoe, zoe. two tails is it on that is her official surname now, Zoe Two Tails. <laughs> no, Zoe Two. We're actually going to tell a lot of the public what Zoe's PlayStation Network name is. Oh wait, is that? That's all right. <laughs> I thought that was her Twitter handle too. And it's also her Twitter oh, okay. handle. Yeah. yeah. So follow her on Twitter, and if you're into video games, Zoe loves Battlefield, which is a PlayStation game. I like it too. I would quite like to play video games sometimes, but Zoe is always on the ruddy battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I feel like we've buried the lead. We did get a little bit in the video games earlier, but we'll finish our chat because I don't want to keep you all night. We'll finish our chat oh, sure, on sure. video games. Okay. As you said, you started, you got into Vice by mm. doing um, illustrations for the video game section yeah. of their website. Yeah. And you also did sort of like a series. Was yeah. that put out in a book yet or is it still in the works? No, what a um, good idea. <laughs> I wonder if there's any publishers out there listening. Um, yeah, that that would be great to do like a series of the game stuff as its own little collection of uh, like maybe um, I could do that personally as a little collection of. I thought you'd released them as posters or something already. Uh, I made two zines um, 
And just to explain to the listener, a zine is a small, like, sorry to patronize you if you already know, but um, <laughs> a zine is a small book, basically, that you make that's yeah. shorter than a comic book. And you usually make them yourself personally at your own personal cost. And they're kind of cheap, but they're they're always like these beautiful, people make them into beautiful objects um, that you just want to collect and things. Um, so I made two zines um, around video games, and they're both called Forgotten Worlds, and they focused on um, game worlds that people didn't really remember, but I was really fond of as a child. And mm. one of them I already talked about was the Alundra PlayStation 1 game. And the first scene was about the Nintendo Disk System, which was a Japanese add-on to the uh, Nintendo Famicom, you know, the original uh-huh. classic Nintendo. And you were saying earlier that you want to get the um, the new mini Nintendo. Yes, I, re- I revealed that off mic earlier. That, that uh, I, I have, mic. I've had my eye on that. What is it called? Like the classic NES? I think it's the NES Classic. Or the yeah. NES Classic. Um, but I believe they're in short supply. Have they yeah. been released? or Yeah, they've been released, but it's like shops maybe have two of them and then you have to queue for 24 that's hours. Crazy. But that's Nintendo. That's what they do. They'll, they'll release a really small amount into the wild to make it look like there's this huge yeah. demand. And then, of course, two weeks before Christmas, they'll be everywhere. So, Well, maybe that's when I'll get my hands on one. Yeah. Or January sales. Because I have the Super Nintendo floating about. Oh, cool. But I never had the NES. Yeah. I did, however, one time in Macro, shout out Macro, by macro. when they did video games, they maybe still do. I don't know why I was in the Macro. <laughs> they had... Uh, They're they the had, guys that do the massive tubs of sweets, right? Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a supply store for like business people or whatever. It's like a supply store for giants. <laughs> <laughs> I want yeah, everything I large. It's an industrial, yeah. It's, it's, it's industrial economies thing, yeah. of scale. It's capitalism. So yeah. you've, got, uh, they, you've got your big tubs of sweets you've got your massive um wrapped up you know 20 steaks or whatever you've got everything in in bulk you also had the old video game then because they they sort of turned part of it into i guess like a general retail or leisure place wow okay so i was looking at the video games they had their Mm. mega drives and da 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 that was Mm. this era game boy games and stuff yeah and then i saw kirby oh kirby and i got it and then when i got home i realized i got the nez one and not the Super Nintendo one. Oh no, right. Because I yeah. just had the Super Nintendo oh, and, that's the, and, and the, the cartridge obviously looked didn't different fit. and didn't fit. And I was that I We very upset. A lesson was learned that day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Did you ever get Kirby for the SNES? You know, it it kind of uh, spoiled Kirby for me and I never <gasps> played it again. That's rough. I once did this little illustration of um of, of a game of that book. story. <laughs> I now it's gonna be what my next comic's gonna be. <laughs> going to be john's tragedy in macro you're going to be this tiny boy in this giant shop <laughs> wading through tubs of sweets <laughs> please i'm drowning <laughs> and then you'll eventually climb up these shelves to get to your prize but then the great tragedy because there's always got to be a tragedy is that it doesn't work oh then, yeah you'll be in tears um but yeah i drew this i, I once drew this cartridge this little sketch of of a game boy cartridge and on the label was Kirby, and it was a play on Kirby's this cute little pink puffy ball, mm-hmm. and he's gorgeous. He's just this the cute predecessor little to Jigglypuff. We could predecessor, say. perfect predecessor to Jigglypuff, and he's on. Uh, typically, traditionally, he's on the cover of the Game Boy cartridge called Kirby's Dreamland, and it's beautiful. He's beside this tree, but I changed it, and this is so clever. I this is culture it. jamming at its this finest. Jam- and so smartly, I changed it to Kirby in a back alleyway. 
um, smoking crack and it was called Kirby's Drug Shame. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that is culture jamming. That's surrealism or that fluxus. Wow, God. It's punk. Yeah, it's punk. Yeah, it's definitely, it's punk. That's what it was. Obviously, the, the video games are important to you yeah. on a personal level. You're going mm. to keep working on this Forgotten Land series, or is that something? Oh, Forgotten Worlds. Forgotten Worlds. Oh, I'd love to go back to it if I ever get time to do it again. Um, it's just, yeah, finding the time to, to get back into um, making zines and things, but I'd absolutely love to do more. I yeah. imagine that's the sort of thing we'd make, and I do, I do want to keep you know pestering the publishers who are listening, but that would make yeah. a great coffee table book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That would be Am I right. Yeah, you are totally right. Because it always came, the way I designed it was that one side was a poster about the either the console or the game, and then the other side was the information about uh, yes. the, the, the game world itself. So yeah, it would be perfect for that. It'd well, that's one to keep in the back pocket. For, that is. Maybe I know. could approach a publisher about that someday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you say, idea. you don't have to hog so, the portfolio about it's all on on just the other end of the computer. Exactly, yeah. I just need to email these people and ask, and then hopefully they'll just say yes and give me money to do <laughs> There is one caveat, publisher. I need some money. <laughs> well, do you have to deal with a lot of rejection? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of rejection in this job. Like, you'll um, not even, you'll maybe get a job um, with an agency and, um, you know, you'll be all ready to do it. And then they'll just get back in touch and go, oh, we were talking to the client about it and we've decided another direction. So it's not happening now. And you'll be like, oh, right. <laughs> I was really psyched up for doing this. And now it's just, um, it's fallen by the wayside. So, yeah, sometimes it could be really gutting. There's been projects that haven't happened and I've just been like, I can't actually talk about them as well because you're under NDA. Yeah. So you can't actually say either, which kind of sucks. Can't but name and shame. I'm so disappointed. Can't name and shame. But yeah, stuff like that happens all the time. So yeah, you hear about really cool things and sometimes it doesn't happen. But whenever the cool things do happen, that's the that's the booster. Well, you were telling me as well off mic that there was one issue or one strip of michael that got oh, rejected yeah. yes yeah yeah and uh and your feeling on it was that it just wasn't the true voice for michael no so tell us tell our listeners a bit more about that because i think yeah. it's a kind of interesting story okay well uh right in the middle of me uh working on these michael comics a friend of mine uh, a neighbor uh, in the village here <laughs> she was talking to me one day and she told me this great story um about a friend of hers who was uh, on Tinder and uh, the guy on Tinder sent her uh, a picture of his penis. And this kind of story just escalated and went in loads of different directions. <laughs> but I decided this is going to be a great story for Michael because this girl, these two women will be walking down a street and one of the women will, will tell the other about this Tinder story and uh, she'll discover that she doesn't want to go out with that type of guy anymore that sends... Uh, anatomical um, portraits. Anatomical portraits. So I didn't know if I could swear there on the podcast, so I was a bit like... So, yeah, so then she decides, oh, well, I'll go for someone completely different. And at the end of it, it was discovered someone completely different will be Michael. Um, and then it would lead on to, like, a further story of dating. Mm -hmm. But then I sent it to my editor, Nick, at Vice, and he was like, no, this doesn't work. This isn't good. And the... He was just really honest and that was great because it sort of refreshed it in my eyes. And I, I just went, yeah, that's true. This isn't good and this isn't my voice and this isn't how I normally write. And it wasn't really what Michael was about. So he axed it and we just left it for a week. And then I came back and did a different comic. But it was a really valuable lesson in 
maintaining focus on something and not and trying to be as true to a character as possible and it's like that thing you know in tv shows whenever you get an episode and it kind of goes off the rails yeah and that can happen in tv and it can go really off the rails and suddenly you're like i don't like this program anymore it's really different from when it began it's kind of that jumping the shark moment i believe from comes from fawns and happy days when when fawnsy jumped the shark yeah um so you momentarily jumped the shark, but you momentarily. got back on the water. Yeah, then got the water rings back on and paddled back to shore and began again. And got back into your uh, studio and just went back to work. <laughs> yeah, just just kept the head down and got back to work. And um, it, it, yeah, it was it was kind of like it was a bit of a shock to be rejected because I never I've never really submitted something to anybody before and being rejected. That probably sounds really cocky in a way, like, oh, I've never been rejected. But it was it was nice in a way as well. And it was it was Nick's job as an editor to go, mm-hmm. look, I don't like this. So that's the value in editors as well. And actually, Zoe's a great editor. I run everything that Michael does by Zoe. And she goes, so it's yeah, like that's a, funny. It's like a threesome, really. Yeah, it is a bit. <laughs> Nick's totally unaware of the third party as well. So um, I don't know how he'll feel about that. I suppose in the interests of, um, you know, uh, agreeing to it, I should probably tell him. But uh, yeah, so she she's really helpful in sort of steering, steering me away from the edge. And if I ever do anything too mean to Michael as well, she'll... Uh, She'll say that's horrible. You can't do that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll change the idea. It's nice though because every you know, like every weekend, I'll have. She'll be like, "Do you have an idea for Michael?" And I'll, I'll be like, "I've got this sort of half idea," and then I'll pitch it to her, and then she'll shoot it down. Or so that's really valuable. So I think that gives me, you know, in future maybe if I ever have to pitch to any other comics publishers, I'll be able to like sort of pitch well. <laughs> that's good. A little mini practice. A little mini practice. Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Stephen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, John, it's been great. It has been great. Uh, listeners, you have been listening to The Jewel Kiss with me and with me, John, with me, John Darcy <laughs> and my guest tonight, Stephen Morse Graham, based in Eden Derry. That's right. This lovely little bedroom studio here. Um, I think there's pictures of it floating about the internet. There's there a is, couple with of me and the dog. Nice little pen pictures of you on a couple of blogs uh, because you're getting the name out there. You've got to get really the name well. out. Yeah, yeah. And you're launching your new comic yes. michael which is a collection of the web comic michael published by vice it's taking place the launch is taking place wednesday 30th of november at us folk gallery on queen street in belfast that's it that's perfect yeah did i get the spiel right you got that spiel perfect <laughs> and it starts at seven did we say that oh seven fantastic yeah. oh and what's the video game surprise i guess i can't oh, say the that. video game surprise well when does this go out will this go out tuesday the Tuesday before, oh, and then it's going to be Wednesday. Okay, let's say, um, I think by then people are going to have a fair idea, and it's going to be around, based around Doom, the video game Doom, the PC oh. game Doom. So imagine Michael in the world of Doom. And you can play it on the night, so come down and play it. That's so cool. Yeah, it's going to be good. Well, Stephen, thanks again. Uh, do you want to give thanks, people John. a quick reminder of your social uh, Yeah, so uh, follow me on Twitter at 400facts, um, on Instagram at smgdraws, and on Tumblr at 400facts.tumblr.com.
I recommend the Tumblr 400 Facts, especially because leave it's the just, Instagram. It's such a oh no, Instagram's <laughs> great. <laughs> it's but not as good you, as the Tumblr. If you've been listening to this and I'm wondering what you know his Stephen style even looks like to mm. start with, it's a great place yeah. to start. Great archive. Uh, so this has been the Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. We'll be back soon with another episode. I'm not sure where we're going from here. Um, Are we going to have like a musical track at this point as well? Because I always love that whenever someone. Oh, you talks. love the wee end with the musical track. Oh God, I'm really hoping to listen but I probably I don't know if I'll listen to myself you should I don't like my voice but maybe we'll have like a little bed of music well, what would you in. like that to be uh, could we have um, what about uh, a bit of Grimes I really like Grimes yeah well I mean right now we're listening to her underneath us talking oh that's Grimes that, uh, yeah I recognise it now of course <laughs> how did I not Stephen, uh, this has been one of the most fun. Uh, this has been great. Yeah, For us, I mean, I'm sure the listeners um, I hope turned it off it half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if I went on too long. I will see you at the uh, the Michael yes. Comics Book see Lodge. And listeners, I will catch you next week. And if in the meantime you want to catch any old episodes, it's thejewelcase.johndarcy.com. We are on a Tuesday night, 8pm on Lisburn's 98FM, Bangor FM and FM 105 in Downpatrick. Uh, Stephen Morris, Graham, night, 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 night listeners. This is night Grimes. Listeners.